I'm Joe Lewandowski, the Atari Hunter, and you're listening to SeamWorld Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm here. He's there. How's it going? Good. Good. I'm thrilled to talk to you again and record an intro for our podcast today. Okay. In a minute, we'll be talking with Richard Leuvenstein and Martin Amon. They're two of the guys. Oh, Richard is the main guy behind the new uh, Amiga Shooter Reshoot R, which will be coming out at some point in the future, as we will learn. Um, before that, there is news to cover, so let's do that. Right. So, would you like to start? Uh, sure. Um, last week, or not, not last week, obviously, because we weren't doing anything last week. In the last podcast, we talked to Eve Bolomini from the, um, Bola Museum, and since then... Um, they have made their funding. Exactly, yes. He also has been on You're public television twice. <laughs> because I'm sure that our podcast was responsible for a large amount of the funds that he was able to... Hopefully. I mean, yeah, I mean it, it know, makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, um... So, actually, how I got aware of, of the Bolo Museum was Amiga Bill, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And, um, yeah, from the Guru Meditation team. And um, so I said, okay, Swiss, um, Switzerland, French, French part of Switzerland, it's nice, good, but you should do it in English as well and, you know... And create awareness all around the world for your problem, you know. So this is how the interview came to be. And I guess this awareness in the scene helped. I, I'd say so, yeah. I, I, I saw that they started doing the first... Um, people that donated a certain amount would get a tour of their storerooms. And they've begun to do those tours. So that's cool. Um, they were also on TV, you say? Yeah, two times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's cool. We'll put a link to some of that in the podcast description so you can check out their TV spots. And if you want to still yeah. donate, I don't know if donations are still open. I assume they are, right? Well, of course, now um, they are, well, still accepting money, but for you know, future plans, you know, maybe a new building and right, so on. Right, They've That's got, something. That's they, something we also mentioned in the interview of the Bolo Museum. So you may you may want, if you listen to this here, you may want to check out um, the Bolo Museum interview. Right. This was mostly going towards storage certain, for what they already, yeah. what they've got, because they, they, uh, they were not able to keep the storage for free anymore, so they need to start paying rent. So that's what a lot of this went for here. Now that's been secured, so now they can start looking at other projects in the future. So that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I just had a look. Yeah, the donation side is still open, so you can still donate. Cool. So what's next? 
What do you got? Well, unfortunately, we all know uh, Jerry Ellsworth, mm -hmm. and um, I had an interview with her. I think it was in 2013 about her um, about her journey into argumented reality mm -hmm. with her product ca Cast. Um, cast R. Cast AR, yeah. And they actually renamed the company after that product name because it became so famous. Then they got external funding and decided to um, refund anybody participating in the Kickstarter she did. Um, and then they they promised that once the the market version is out. Everybody would get a pair of of the glasses, and unfortunately, the news is they shut down. They stopped operating. So they fired all people. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um. I'm reading here that uh, originally she worked at Valve, and this was a project that they were working on at Valve. But they let her go, and they let her take with her the technology that she was working on. Um, she started her own company, uh, which is Technical Illusions. I don't know why I had a problem saying that. Technical Illusions with Rick Johnson. Um, and they've uh, been working on the Cast AR since then. Um, so that's where that's been. But as of late June, um, they laid off around 70 people, which is most of their staff. Um, and there's a core group that is still there that is working to sell the technology. So, you know, in as much as it's a shame that, that this is going, that it, it has, it, that the company has gone under and um, they won't be doing any more of that. Um, I feel like, I don't think that the project itself is necessarily gone. I'm sure that somebody is going to come in and pick it up and potentially even, you know, drag Jerry along with it because... I hope so. Yeah. If you watched the interview that I did with her, she even had a pair of prototype classes and mm -hmm. she explained in that video interview how that technology works and it's just, just awesome. And we also know from our interview last year with Sean Hare that even the pioneer game designers actually are using that technology, uh -huh. like in the new Sociable Soccer, which is a um, successor of um, Sensible Soccer. So, and actually, they're using, of course, they're using of course, it's um, virtual, it's virtual reality, yeah. But Cast AR was was also able to switch to virtual reality because you could actually get them caps for the classes, though they would be closed and work as virtual reality. So I, you it, know, there's some stuff. Jerry's, Jerry's, Jerry's device was a two-in-one device. You could get argument reality, which is looking through the classes. Mm -hmm. On a surface that is reflecting and having a closed See, device. That's, that's a way better idea than how a lot of things do augmented reality. Because I have a pair of, of 3D thingies or, or, or VR glasses. It's the kind you put your phone in. And 
Here they are. And with these, you take this part off, right? And that lets your camera, the, the phone camera, actually look out. But, and, and with that, you can, you know, you can see the world around you, and it can be augmented with information and whatever else. But I don't know what idiot is going to be walking around with this in public just for the augmented reality. You know, it's not, this is not elegant. <laughs> so, something where, you know, it's a, it's a smaller thing that, that actually works well. I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, well, I totally understand you. I totally <laughs> understand you, yeah. So anyway, if you're interested in that, look look and watch uh, the interview that mm -hmm. I did with her we'll where also, she explained the technology. We'll also put links to, to Cast AR and all the other stuff that has to do with that in the podcast description sure. so you can sure. go there and look at it and learn what we know. Sure. Yes, well, other news. Yeah, well, the as you probably heard, the... SNES Classic Mini has been released for pre-order. Or, or the SNES. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because we had this discussion, AJ and me, how the 20-something people on YouTube that, that haven't grown up with the SNES call it SNES. I don't YouTube. know anybody that has ever called it the SNES. It's the well, SNES. Well, the youngsters call it SNES. Actually, we always just call it the Super Nintendo. We never call it even the SNES. It's just Super Nintendo. I know, I know, I know. Oh, yes, yes, me too. Yeah. I don't know where these, these kids yeah. these days are getting this from. <laughs> SNES. Sounds cooler, isn't it? SNES. It does not yeah, sound cooler. Uh, it sounds like... It, 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 yeah. it, it's like a sneeze that never quite gets there. It's just like... A, <gasps> when you <laughs> think you're going to sneeze... Snack. Yeah, when you think you're going to sneeze and you don't, that that's a SNES. Okay, interesting. Yeah, anyway, they are releasing um, three models. Uh, September 29th mm -hmm. is the release date, and the pre-orders were pretty much done within 10 minutes yeah. on any shop where there have been yet. For example, Amazon Germany, 10 minutes was over. <laughs> Otto, which is also a mail trader here, one hour it was over. So I got, I got a pre-order place to so hopefully i get one and um interestingly um the difference here between the nas classic mini that i got because it wasn't german television thank you again nintendo germany and zf for that uh, possibility um this time there are three models because the americans had a different design we had the ugly and one. Yeah, the ugly one, and that is actually why Americans now offer um, uh, offer the European version to Americans for pre-order on high prices at eBay. Hmm. You are welcome. So Thanks. there will be three models: the Super Famicom, the SNES Europe, and the SNES American. The games will be the same at as European and American, but the um, the Japanese one will have more exclusive game, and and it's also the first time in history that Star um, Star Fox Two is getting an official release. Hmm. Because um, the game was done, the source code leaked. You can get reproduction cartridges, um, but Nintendo never officially released the game. And that will be your chance to officially release the game, uh, to officially play the game. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
Yep, yep, I, yep. Uh, for some reason, I felt like that was out. Like, Star Fox 2 was a thing, but... Nope. I don't know. Nope. I wasn't really big into it was, Nintendo it... back in the day. Well, I was always a Sega fanboy, but Sega was twice as expensive as... Was it? Yeah, in Germany, it was twice as expensive oh. as Nintendo. This is why Nintendo had a lead here. I had yeah. an original, uh, like an an, 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 an I had an NES, but I uh, my brother had an SNES later. He was of the younger generation that got those. I was a little. And bit... he didn't call him SNES. We didn't call it a SNES. No. <laughs> um, he had one of those. I still had the the regular old NES, but I don't remember. I, I played Donkey Kong Country. I think was the only game that I actually played on it. The Super NES. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Mario Kart. Mario Kart played that, the original Mario Kart. Yep, yep, yep. It will also be on the SNS Classic Mini. All so. right, that's a, that's a classic. Yep, definitely. I never played any of the later Mario games because, I don't know. To me, Super Mario Brothers Three is like the pinnacle. It's the best one. Yep. It doesn't get better past that. It, the, all the ones on, on Super Nintendo felt a little weird. Uh, I- I liked it. I liked it. Really? Especially the second one, Yoshi's Island. Oh. I, mean, I, I the, thought they um, weren't bad games. The, I just didn't... They didn't get me like like Super Mario Bros. 3 did. Anyway, talking about that, Hyperkin is actually coming out with a new product. Hyperkin Hyperclick Retro Style Mouse for SNES. <laughs> oh my god. That's the product name. You're welcome. Uh, $20. Uh, it's fun because there are only two major um, products on the SNES that actually use the mouse, mm-hmm. and that was Mario Paint and the Super Game Boy. And most owners of the Super Game Boy didn't even know that a mouse was supported because <laughs> it was not written in the manual. It was not written in the manual. So I always had a Super... Uh, Game Boy, and I never plugged in the mouse to hmm. use it hmm. because I didn't know I could. Anyway, AJ well, will get one for me. Thank yeah, you. Mario Paint, it was a big deal, so I can understand there being oh, yeah. a market. Yeah, but this pain in the ass was that it took 10 minutes to load hmm. what you saved. Yeah. Which I still don't understand it why about, it takes so it took long. about four years to, to work on any meaningful animation. Well, I, of course, well, I can understand that. But I don't know why saving and loading takes so long on Flash technology. I have no idea. Oh, I, oh, I don't know. Was that, well, it may not have been fast Flash technology. I mean. But 10 minutes? Seriously? Yeah. That's slower than a tape drive. I, you season. know, but I, it, there's, other thing, there's other factors. I mean, you know, I've got a uh, the SD2 IEC for the C64. And without a fast load, it operates at about the same speed as a 1541. But it's mm. an SD card. So, you know, saving an 8K file onto an SD card or, 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 or smaller than that file should only take a second or even less than a second. But it takes the full length of time it would take for a 1541 to do it because of the, um, because of the throughput of the C64 serial ports. So you think the hardware was the bottleneck here? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it was, yeah. Hmm. Because actually, that is why, for example, 
um, Sam's Journey, the new proto, proto vision game, is using um, Rye support for the NTSC compatibility to use it as an expandable RAM mm-hmm. to move memory location for scrolling around. And it's faster than the internal RAM of the Z64, yeah. from what I read. So, if even in the 80s already it was blazing fast, could should should have been in the 90s when the Super NES was out. <laughs> so probably you're right. Probably it's a system bottleneck on the hardware. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Hyperkin is really, um, well, throwing out retro hardware like like nothing, you know. Um, like the Game Boy development kit that that even worked now with um, with the new Samsung because they did a partnership with the new Samsung. Mm-hmm. So you can actually put in your Samsung Galaxy, the latest um, model, put in that that, that in that um, mock-up of the Game Boy, and then you have a real Game Boy and your smartphone is a screen. Hmm. And you have a real port for your Game Boy games to put in. That's awesome. Okay. That's totally awesome. So Hyperkin is doing really top-notch um, quality retro hardware. It's totally amazing. And if even Samsung partners with them to make an ODM, OEM version for their phones, can only mean it's pretty good. Yeah. 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 So maybe I will paint something with a new mouse. Go for it. We can make the new scene world like the the intro the anim- animation. Make it a Mario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then and then uh, convert it to a movie. <laughs> to a movie animation. There you um, go. <laughs> just capture it. Just use your capture card to capture the animation into a movie file. And bloop. There we go. Uh, it's that easy, I bet. That's what I'm talking about. Red, red. So, okay, so is that now we've got? Well, wait, from... wait, do I say red? I don't know. What, what's what's that? It's probably it's it's red. Yeah, it's red. Red. Like red, like super cool. Oh, red, red. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what else we've got? We got something from Cloanto. Oh, yes. Cloanto released a new C64 Forever version and a new as Amiga Forever version, and we will link to the links they now, sent to me from the newsletter. question that I have. Yeah. Because I know Cloanto has the rights to... The Amiga... The and um, I believe they have rights to the Amiga, the classic Amiga, right? So, so Cloanta has rights to the classic Amiga Kickstart and, and maybe Workbench. And they are able to therefore make these um, Amiga Forever things. It's basically an emulator that runs on that runs on the uh, on Windows and maybe Macs. No, just Windows. Um, and they also still put out the um, the Kickstart. I mean, the, my my Amiga 500 over here has a an officially licensed Cloanto Kickstart 3.1 in it. Wow. Um, but I don't know what they have to do with the C64. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't. Maybe they got a license. I don't recall ever hearing anything about that. 
Um, and I think that I would have because that would have been. Well, big. I don't. I don't think. Right I don't think to... it's illegal. I don't think it's illegal. Cloento seems to be very, very, very. Oh, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's illegal. On... I just don't understand why. Um, how that works exactly? I mean, I, it's basically just an emulation package, right? You know, so Vice could do the same thing, but whatever. Uh, I will try it out and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Other news is by the time you hear this, our new news portal will be out, C sixty four TV, and um actually worked with um, Martin Aman on reali realizing that and putting it into reality. So that will be our new news portal for C64 News. So, and you can even submit your own news. Just click on Submit News and then we get a notification and then we actually post it on our social channel. So, C64 TV. Cool. Got the got the domain name and thought we should do something useful with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So hope you will like it. it will be a, a big side project of Seedbot. Other news: After two years, we got a new webmaster, Sören Raufeisen, aka um, P. Collins, is our new webmaster. He's also doing the BBS for Access. And now he joined us. So the Scene World homepage should see some improvements um, while we go along with him modifying the page a bit. One thing is you shouldn't see any error messages on the SSL saying that they are um, insecure elements still they're trying to load. That should be gone pretty soon. Yeah, Very and nice. Nice. on this and on this opportunity, I also want to say thank you to to everybody who actually helped us to survive without having a proper uh, webmaster. <laughs> that includes me and H A sitting trying to fix our homepage, um, emailing scene.org because we broke something and needed to get a backup back or Menno um, Menno Peterson from the Netherlands who's actually a modex freak and he helped us a number of times to solve big big problems we had so thanks for that and also scene.org who actually started um, supporting let's encrypt for SL because we asked them to that's, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. So hopefully that um, homepage issue won't be an issue anymore because now we got a new um, professional webmaster here. Yes, indeedy. Other news, we will be on Gamescom again at the um, third week of August. And we will be probably again at... 10.2 family and friends area as we have always been the last years and so we will also have a surprise for you if you come to our booth we will again have something new oh boy. you know oh boy. yeah yeah 
You know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. The, and the podcast, do not spoil the price. Hmm. I but, want to give a thank you to, to, to Blue Microphones because this thing broke. Okay. Actually, not this one. This is a totally... I had one of these things. Well, it doesn't look blue. It looks gray to me. Well, yeah, well, you know. This this thing, uh, the one that I had broke. Uh, it's a thing that was apparently... Was it blue? No, it wasn't. So it's it was, a company it was, name. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, okay. It's apparently a thing that happens with, with them, with uh, with microphones. So why not make a company, call them Blue Microphones, and make Cray Microphones? Yeah, that's, right. that's nice. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I interrupted but, uh, yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, I contacted them. Um, I was well out of warranty. They still took it and sent me a new one for free. So... Awesome. So you told them you have a very important podcast. Absolutely, yeah. I, I said I can't, I can't be missing this podcast. I can't be doing this with my with my built-in microphone here. This isn't cool. And they were like, "We'll be right on that, sir." Nice. So you see, wasn't, here at Scene World, we make everything happening just for you. Wasn't wasn't quite that. Uh... <laughs> but but I did get a new one. It was. It was free, even though it was out of warranty. So, I highly, I, I endorse them. They're a good company. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and you got something about Friend OS. Yes, Friend OS actually released um, 1.0. Mm. That means they finally got the major step. That's pretty neat. So we will link to that. And we will also link to that interview we did at Gamescom last year where they had a presence there. Mm -hmm. And um, where David Pleasance actually spoke on the Vetro Area uh, stage and talked about the old times of Commodore. And again, a lot of people ask, what is FriendOS again? And FriendOS is a bit like AmigaOS, but a network in the cloud. So that is how it's connected to the Amiga. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's Amiga OS based, or it's like a exactly a variation. Yeah. I just like like with Morph OS or um, Eros, I think is another exactly. one. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of Amiga based OSs kicking around out there, more than you yeah. think. Yeah. But well, they they promise to be kicking anyway. Um, you can you can learn more about that in our interview that we did with Friend OS. So we'll link to that too. Okay. We interviewed so many people. Hmm. There's the can't remember who they are. <laughs> right. All right. So, um any other news I've missed? I think that's it. Um I think we can pop over now. We have over there we have Richard. Well, you we should mention we should mention Protovision is releasing a lot of games. Yes, they are. They are. I've got I've got two here on my screen, uh which is that they're taking orders for Sam's Journey, which is a platformer and looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be groundbreaking. I saw it last year in Gamescom, and I can confirm um, it's never been so much uh, four-dimension, vague, scrawling, so smooth the way this is. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and it's even NTSC compatible. It's using the Roy. They wrote, yeah, they're using a Roy to actually compensate for the missed for the missing raster time hmm. the NTSC machines have compared to Paul. 
So to copy around the memory locations for its cloning. And they're developing another one called a wormhole, which looks like another uh, platformer. Looks pretty good. Yep, that's and, true. Uh, there's actually a couple others. If you go on to um, uh, Indie Retro News, there's quite a few new games that are popping around. Or on Protovision.games, the official yeah. homepage. Mm-hmm. For example, they are still um, developing Civilizations 8-bit. Mm-hmm. You can get the demo by Fabian Hartl on the homepage that we mentioned in our last uh, podcast, actually. Yep, yep. They well, they have Outrage that they are working on, you know, right? which is a pretty neat action platformer, adventure thing, game, with very, very pretty graphics. Mm-hmm. On the title screen, this looks a bit like Rambo. <laughs> Yep. Yep. And um, and Jakob Wo's Check to Rip is actually still working on Packet, which is a Pac-Man clone for the four-player adapter. So yeah. Hmm. Cool. There's another one. Uh, Charles Gray is releasing a game uh, called Vaultman Two. So that's. That's new as of today. Wow, or I yes, didn't yes, know that. Yesterday, fun. rather, it was posted. Wow. So, so, I mean, there's lots of lots of stuff, lots of development still happening for the C64. Yep. And there's the ProtoVision Games Competition, also called PGC 2017. Uh-huh. And that's happening from the 1st of July until the 30th of April 2018. Yep. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, Martin Amon, who is over there, he's one. He's actually one of us, and he's also part of this game. We've done lots of stuff with him before. Uh, we've yeah, let's done, plays for yeah, example. We've done let's plays. We've done lots of things. We, we we love Martin, and he will be joining us on this one because he is part of the development of this game. Uh, so he is over there, and Richard Lubenstein is over there, um, and so let's talk about. Reshoot R, and 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 this is going to be kind of, we're we're doing this one a little bit differently. We're going to be a little on the bottom because when we recorded this, we had a little bit of of recording difficulty, so our video wasn't fantastic. So we're going to be little while we show you lots of games. So yeah, because Richard is known for his games. Yes, so we're going to be showcasing that whilst we talk. So great. Okay, so today we are talking to Richard Löwenstein. And Martin Amann, and um, we are talking to them, first of all, of course, because of the history of Richard, how he got into the game industry and so on. And they are also working on a new Amiga game called Reshoot R, and we will talk about that as well. So welcome to the show, Richard. Great to have you here. Thanks for the invitation. No problem. So, I guess uh, let's start a bit with um, how did you actually, Richard, get into computers? Into computers? Um, let me see. Um, it must be must be like like the year 1980 or something, or 1982, um, when I first when when I got my first um, games console. Pro- probably even earlier, probably 1979. 
and um, it was like a, a very simple Pong console, which could have just played um, a handful of games like Pong and Pong for Two and um, Pong for Four, and um, that's that's when um, when the whole game thing um, uh, uh, caught me up, and um, just a couple of years later, I um, like a lot of people, I was uh, infected by uh, by the home computer virus. So um, I asked my dad if um, if I could get a, um, a home computer for for birthday or probably for Christmas. I'm not too sure about that. And I, 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 I first uh, first uh, first I wanted to have a ZX81, and um, but instead I got a, a Texas Instruments 99 4A. Because my dad said that um, if I if I if I should get into this home computer hobby thing, um, I should do this with a proper computer, and um, that's um, that's basically how I got my first computer, and that's how I started um, um, getting used to program computers because the TI the Texas Instruments was very easy to to um, to develop for because it has a had a very uh, very good um, so-called extended basic which had a lot of commands for, for for having nice graphics and if you the first time you see graphics moving around the screen which you you, you did yourself you're infected for for the rest of your life so that's how it all started mm. when, when, when i when i said that i um that i got a um, um, um texas instruments computer um i should probably <laughs> add that i was like 11 or 12 years old and um Probably four years later, I, I developed my first commercial game. Yeah, this was not not really for uh, Magic Bytes. That was later, but for Firebird Software, which um, which was a Commodore 64 game called Twinkie Goes Hiking. And um, I, I don't suppose anyone uh, knows it uh, who listens to to this podcast now. But um, it's it's a it's a it's a very nice little jump and run for two players playing simultaneously, and with this game, um, even though it did not make me a millionaire, um, I caught the attention of a couple of software developers, and one of them was Magic Bytes, who approached me and asked if I um, if I uh, would want to develop the Commodore 64 uh, conversion of a game called uh, Persian Gulf Inferno, which was like a shooting, uh, you would you would call it kind kind of run run and gun run and gun game today, and it was like one guy entering a oil um, platform, how's that called, oil drilling platform, yeah. and, and just killing a lot of terrorists, yeah. and um, occasionally um, trying to um, disarm uh, explosives and also uh, free some hostages. And well, yeah, I did uh, the Commodore 64 version of this one. And, uh, and, and I read actually that there was a censored version for Germany called North Sea Inferno of the same game. Exactly, it's, it's exactly the same game. It was just, um, it was just, um, it had a different title screen. And um, I think um, with the Amiga version, they also scrapped um, some kind of war cry in the, uh, in the title screen. But yeah. that's 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 all the differences uh, I had to. Well, I did not really change any sprites, or I did not change any gameplay, as far as I remember. 
and you all you still had uh, real pistols and real guns and real submachine guns, and you real uh, still had uh, terrorists falling to the floor, and uh, so no changes, just the tile screen. Yeah, that's good to know because that was actually one of my questions I had in mind because the internet isn't very sure about that. The C64 wiki says that the gameplay was altered so much that the censored version got um, got uh, the golden cucumber of the month. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now this was okay. No, this you're talking about the the, the 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 review in the PowerPlay magazine, right? Yes, yes, exactly. It's just it was just a review in one German magazine. Um, the game the game also got. Uh, kind of uh, good reviews in other magazines. And actually, um, I talked to the guy who did the review. He's called um, Heinrich Lienhardt. He's quite well known in the- I know him too, yes. Yeah, he's quite well known. And I talked to him, um, why <laughs> why did you not like my game? Whereas a lot of people like it. I mean, um, uh, he couldn't really remember, but um, well, I mean, it's, it's it, there's no change whatsoever in the German version. Um, Related to the gameplay, so that's okay. Cool. That means the int the entry in Z64 Wiki is wrong. Just to get this right. If, well, if the entry is know. like you 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 said, um, then it's wrong. Wow, <laughs> good to know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, well, that was pretty good questions I had in mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, but but as I said, in in other publications, it got really good reviews. So, just one. One um, mishap. Well, to be honest, I I mean, um, in hindsight, I would say um, that there are a couple of things I would I would have I, I would I would develop in a differently today, and it was not a great game. Uh, it was an okay game. You could play it, and it was kind of yeah, it was fun for one, two, three hours or something. And there were lots of worse games on the Commodore 64, but there were also lots of real great games which were better than mine but still it's not too bad and um i um i one or two years ago i i i checked um some kind of metacritic retro games platform where uh, people rate games um from former times but they rate them today and um nothing kind of got like i don't know probably 6.7 out of 10 points or 7.1 something like that and it's kind of okay so um i'm but but that's one of the games i would actually um which i could imagine would 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 be fun to to uh, redevelop again and uh, see how it would look like today if i would um, yeah use all the knowledge i gathered from from the last years, last 20, 30 years, and put them all into a new version of the game. But you also worked as a chief editor for German game magazines after your coding career, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, when I when I had um, when I had finished work on Norsi Inferno and a couple of other games, um, I um, I don't know exactly how it came to be, but I, I did already write some reviews for uh, for a, a, a German computer games uh, magazine or a German computer magazine called Happy Computer, and I I, I, I like to to review software and uh, write about it and um, bring the message to the masses. So uh, so 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 with uh, the age of I don't know probably twenty, 
I um, I said to myself, okay, why not? Why not work uh, as a journalist, as a games journalist? And that's how I how I wrote to the guys from uh, the German uh, computer games magazine Amiga Joker, which um, was established in 1991. And um, I joined the team at the end of 1991, and um, I stayed there for like almost 10 years with a one or two breaks. But yeah, anyway, I stayed there for 10 years and. Um, and um, after that, I worked as a as a as a as a staff writer, and also, yeah, progressed like to editor in chief, editor something like that, and not only for Amiga Joker, but later for for PC Joker too. So um, that's um, that that's how I started my my well so-called career uh, as a as a games journalist. Hmm. It must be an advantage to to know the other side when you are a journalist and you know how much effort a coder has put into a game that's review because you know how it has to be done in a way. Uh, well, um, I have a lot of respect. Um, I do know that it's not fair to, to just simply bash a game uh, just because I don't like one or two features. Um, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's just not fair because um, even, even bad games um, they, they, there are a lot of people um, who put a lot of effort and time and money um, to to get this game together, and um, it's 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 perfectly fine to 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 tell um, the the potential buyers of a game, uh, hey, this is this is these are the weak points of a game and these are the strong points of a game, but I don't see any reason to bash a game. Because I do know that it's just not fair uh, to to the people who were um, involved in, in the development of a game, and also um, very often um, as a journalist, you 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 get to talk to uh, to developers or mostly uh, PR guys who try to tell you some stories how the game was developed and how fast it runs and how how fast the frame rate is or something like that. And when you when you do develop yourself, you just know that sometimes it's probably not exactly the truth they're telling you. Um, it's probably more like like a plan, like a master plan, but probably not uh, what is actually uh, what you can actually see. Like for example, um, I was very often told when 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 we talked about the frame rate of a game, because to me a frame rate is kind of essential to a real good g a computer game. Um, very often, when I when I when I spoke to to developers or PR guys um, about the frame rate of games, they always told me like this is 50 or 60 frames, this is perfectly fluid and something like that. But actually, I can see um, how fast a run a game runs. I, a lot of people can't see it because they probably lack um, the the practice or the years of experience that I have. And, but, but I can actually see it. And so I sometimes see um, that when someone talks to me and tells me like, this is 50 frames, I can see it's just 20 or 15. And then I can, you know, I can ask the developer, why are you telling me like this has 50 frames, whereas I can clearly see it's just 15 or 20 frames. And this leads to, you know, to, to a kind of discussion, which is interesting because if, um, if, if a developer knows that a journalist is not just a soft journalist, but also a developer, and he knows his stuff. Then the discussion is totally different. You know, he gets he, he gets to talk a little bit more, and he he, he gets 
into his comfort zone of developing games and that means that he's more open-minded and he tends to tell you a bit more than he is probably telling journalists who don't know a thing about development of games. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yes, um, but, but there were times where frame games weren't everything. I mean, for example, the very famous game trailer that had one frame every five seconds <laughs> on the C64. It was a pretty good success because it was one of the... 3D games on the C64, even though it was what, horribly slow. What game are you talking about? Thriller. Thriller? Oh. Thriller. Thriller? Ah, you know this yeah. 3D adventure. Oh. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like through, through uh, pyramids or something like that, right? Exactly, exactly. Ah, yeah. And it, it, had, it had polygons. Yeah. Um, and it was um, one frame, five seconds. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, framework is not everything. It's just, um, it was just an example, you know, it was just an example of, like, for racing games, framework is essential, but for adventures, well, probably not as essential. Probably it's more important that you have a good story to tell. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you could also talk about good storytelling. It's, uh, it, it really depends on the game. So framework is not everything, of course, you're right. And how did it happen that you now uh, start making Amiga games again? <laughs> I mean, um, would you want to talk to Martin or something like? Because it's, this is a very long story, and it's probably <laughs> it's probably too boring for, uh, for 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 the listeners of the podcast to just listen to me. Or is it, should I just tell no. me? It's your decision. Yeah. Both tell of it. you, of course. Both of you, of course. We're <clears throat> proud of. I, I will start to talk when 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 it's got to reshoot R. So uh, <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean I'm just thinking, you know, being a coder, then going into um, writing for magazines, and then jumping back uh, for classic computing coding. Yeah. There yeah. must be reason to go back. I mean, even though retro is a hype, and that is what we often talk about with our guests in this podcast yeah. it's not like there's a big money behind it no no but there's very few exceptions of course um, yeah well i don't know what, one of these exceptions but we will see with richard r if there's any money to be made <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i mean it's the the the, the short version of the story is it goes like this so um I, I already told you earlier that i started working at amiga joke in 1991 and um before that, I, I developed games, but I did, did not only develop games for uh, Texas Instruments and for Commodore 64, but I also started developing games for, for the Amiga computer. That was like probably 1988 or 89 or something like that. And anyway, um, I started to, to develop um, a horizontal scrolling shoot em up, um, probably in 1989. I'm not too sure about that, but anyway, um, when I when I started to work uh, for for the Amiga Joker magazine, there was no time left to to really um, progress um, developing the game. So because it's you know working as a games journalist means you have to invest a whole lot of time. You know you do not really you, you do not just write reviews, but you also play games, and uh, everyone as everyone can imagine, um, this takes up a whole lot of time. So there was no time left, unfortunately, to 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 continue developing for uh, my my Amiga game, so that's when I basically when basically did my my work as a as a game developer yeah kind of yeah stopped and um, 
many many years later actually just um probably two years two years ago i um i well i did clean up my 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 uh, a whole lot of stuff you know i had a, a big collection of retro games and retro hardware and i i decided i don't need anything um, I just uh, want to sell it, um, um, give it to people who who really uh, love this, uh, like a uh, like an Amiga 4000 4, or or a C32 console or a Mega Drive or Super Nintendo, whatever. And I decided to just keep my my just a couple of machines, and one of them was my Amiga 1200. And um, when I decided to to keep it with me. Um, I also decided it needs a, a little bit of cleanup, so um, I, I just, yeah, I just, uh, you know, how's, how's that? It's, it was recapped, is that a word which can be used? Yeah. Yes, recapped, that's yeah. exactly it the was, word. It was recapped and it was, um, you know, the whole keyboard was cleaned, um, the whole, everything was cleaned basically, and also um, I, I I took my all the discs I had from 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 my time as a as an as a developer, and I had a look at them uh, like 20 years after I ceased developing for the Amiga computer, and um, that's that's how I found um, the original source code uh, of of the Shunim Up game, which I started in 1989, and um, as it came to be, uh, this was the same time when I. Um, Got to be a uh, father for the second time, so my uh, my daughter was born, um, and um, as probably uh, some of your listeners know, that uh, uh, a baby uh, tends to cry at night. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I well I I shared um, the woodwork uh, with with my with my girlfriend, and I sometimes when when a baby cried, it just um, I just uh, uh, yeah did some food for her for my daughter, and um, after that I sometimes just couldn't get back to sleep. So I decided, okay, what 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 to do now? What to do with my time? Um, some people read, some some people um, uh, yeah watch TV, and I decided, uh, well, why not develop an Amiga game? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so good decision. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's, okay. That's, that's that's how I um, I just basically took my my very old source code from 1989, and I yeah I decided okay why not finish um, the work which I started um, a lot of years ago, and develop at least one really good Amiga game in my lifetime, and um, well that's basically how it came to be, and this was two years ago, and um, this this uh, led to a game called Reshoot. Which um, looks like this, <laughs> and um, it was it was um, it was published last year at the Gamescom show, uh, so in August 2016, and um, yeah, I mean it's um, it's 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 the, the whole fascination or the, the whole idea of of uh, developing for the Amiga um, was also of course fueled by uh, by the whole retro. Um, gaming thing going on, especially on the Commodore 64 right now, but also on some other platforms. I also felt that um, I, I saw a lot of really great new games on the Commodore 64, but not so much on the Amiga computer. In fact, I didn't really see one uh, impressive 
new Amiga game. It was there were a couple of games, but they were kind of okay. But they did not really look anything like like the the, the great games we we had in the in the early 90, 90s. Whereas on the Commodore 64, I saw some games which looked even better than anything I had ever seen on the Commodore 64. Yeah. And um, so that's that's when I decided, okay, why not um, why not try at least try to develop something which looks a little bit like like a, a commercial game from the 90s. And um, so that's that's yeah that's how um, reshoot came to be. And um, I developed reshoot uh, within one year, and I learned a lot of things. And um, some of these things which I learned are within. The, the time frame uh, of, of, of the reshoot development, um, I, I try to incorporate in a new game, which is uh, currently in development. In development, and this game is called Reshoot R, and um, I think we've got another guy here in this uh, <laughs> this small party who's also uh, involved in development in developing this game. Right, Martin? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, what should I say? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the thing is, you know, um, how did it actually happen that you you became the guy making the music for the new reshoot R? Is it really like, oh, the music needs to be better? And Richard said, okay, improve it, do it yourself, and then you say, yes, okay, I do it. Hey. Well, well, kind of. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, the music. Was really great from reshoot, but um, when we were at uh, Gamescom in Cologne, I first got the game there. We we, we were there at the fair with uh, Patrick Nevian, who's uh, head of uh, Ami Works, which uh, who are um, distributing this game. And yeah, we, sh were... we should mention he is mostly known for his piano interpretation of Chris Hill's Turrican music oh, and yeah, other sure. pieces. And his yeah. band Blue Metal Rose, which is uh, very good yeah. indeed. Um, yeah. And we were, uh, <laughs> and we were sitting at the in the fair, and we we had an, an Amiga 1200 there, and we were playing the game. Um, and after playing this uh, reshoot for three days, I was sitting there with my beautiful wife, and uh, we we were we were playing and playing and playing and playing, but we never got that far that we we could hear the main feature of the game music which was actually that the game music which was uh, was uh, i don't know the format but it's it's kind of it's this chip music isn't it richard exactly it's it's it's, uh, it's it's using um yeah it's it's a, t a tfx format which is um kind of emulating the 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 sit um audio chip from the commodore 64. um i i did use this tracker because it's basically a tracker um <coughs> it uses it, it sounds like a commodore 64 um yeah. Yeah, audio. And, and uh, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan of Commodore 64 music. That's <laughs> that's a simple reason for for this decision. Well, we, we we can we can do some remixes for of the actual music. So uh, <laughs> in in C64 style. Nevertheless, we we were we were playing the game and we weren't that good that we got so far that we could see the main feature of the music, which is actually that the music increases speed while the game increases speed too. So, if you play long enough, the music gets quicker and better and bolder and bigger. But we never got that far. <laughs> so we were sitting <laughs> at the booth and playing and playing and, and 
And I was, what's wrong with the music? What's so wrong with this music? So uh, I first got to know Richard and, and, and I said to him, hey, you're doing actually so, so good Amiga games here. We see an actual Amiga game looking as good as in the good old times. Why don't you use just music we used there when, when, when we played the games? We used ProTracker and stuff, and we had uh, digital music, and we, and we thought Amiga is, is the actual shit because we had no, no hardware, no synthesizers. We had no money for this. We had the Amiga, we had the Paula chip, and when we made a lot of music uh, back in the days. And well, and I said, uh, if you do a follow-up, please do some better music. <laughs> and uh, Richard said, "Well, I like I like the music, and, and I don't want to 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 say that this uh, that is uh, not that good. But uh, he said, just try it. But uh, don't forget, you just got three channels for your music." And I said, okay, I'll do it with two. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Star Trek. Uh, the, the two versus three versus four channel discussion came up to be because um, you need sound effects. Yeah. And you know, I'm 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 not only a big fan of Commodore 64 music, but also of having um, music and um, sound effects simultaneously, which was not that common on the Amiga in former times, by the way. And I said, okay, um, Martin, let's try this. But um, if we try it, um, I, I I desperately need you to to just use two or three channels so that we can have a lot of um, sound effects too. But not only great audio but also uh, not only great music but also um great sound effects and and martin really um i i kind of really uh, tell you what kind of great work he, he did on the music um and um, I'm, I'm really um keen to 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 get some reaction from from the people outside um the first time they they really get to listen to the to martin's music and um, I, I think everyone will love it because it's it's actually better than the most things, almost everything I've ever ever heard in the '90s. And I, yeah, it's it's, and I I, I really hope that most people will, um, yeah, will, will share share my opinion. We will see. <laughs> we will see. Don't get Chris Hulsbeck to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we should we should mention what Richard is actually talking about. I think it's called multiplexing. You are you are switching instruments very fast because you only have two voices instead of three, so you have to switch the voices pretty fast. Uh, the uh, the instruments. So it sounds actually like you have more <coughs> instruments playing at one time that you ha than you actually have. Um, I, I know this because I once did an interview with Jeroen Tell and he kind of perfectionized this multiplexing te technology when he did Robocop 3 and, uh, and the Turtles coin up for the C64. He only had one channel for the music and two channels for SFX. Uh -huh. So, and uh, I think it's it's this multiplexing you're referring to, right? Well, not really, cause not really. Okay. The Amiga has got four channels to use, and uh, we said that we had a maximum of three to use. So one channel is free for the sound effects. Um, to be honest, uh, Richard tried to switch the channels and and to rotate the sound effects through 
all the fourth channels. Um, but I, I had this idea. I didn't want to make just music on three channels and and and, and to to um, get this feeling that there there are only three channels. I wanted to to list. Uh, if you listen to the music, you had you have to have the impression that there are six or eight channels. Yes. Oh, okay. So I uh, used, uh, so I tried to 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 use some uh, modern DAWs like Cubase in this case, and 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 um, did a lot lot of uh, sound design with my synthesizers and and samples, and and did some track backing track where where bass, uh, percussions, drums, and things are combined, and then uh, are cut into little 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 pieces. And these pieces are just put together in real time by ProTracker, and and I used a lot of techniques in ProTrackers uh, itself to 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 do some filter techniques, uh, free no free emulation, and so on. So I just used three channels, and 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 if you count it, I, I will try now. It's a base. Yeah, these are seven to eight channels simultaneously. Wow. Okay, so a totally different approach. Okay. Yeah, just uh, I, had, I had this problem uh, doing music now, semi-professional for years now. Uh, Richard came up and said, "Well, not just three channels. Don't forget, there are only 200 of kilobytes." <laughs> and I said, "Oh, this is just a little problem." So I I, I did uh, the first track which I gave to him, which was for his trailer video for YouTube, uh, and it was actually. 430 kilobytes, which, which which was planned for the for the reveal trailer, but this has not yet happened because of other uh, things going on. So the music exists for a couple of weeks now, but there's no trailer as yet. But this is um, this is soon to be changed. Okay, so. <laughs> very interested to see it then. Yeah, it's an interesting approach. Okay. Yeah, sure it is, and 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 so uh, so we did the, the soundtrack, and 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 then I had this problem that that this was quite too big, and uh, so uh, when I went to revision this year, I, I which was by the way my first demo party here, which I attended, I got to know uh, got to know a lot of freaks and programmers, and I talked to a lot of people what to do to get this module just smaller to, to, to get it smaller without uh, a lack of quality so and and then um, after talking a lot and doing some uh, uh, stuff with with uh, in, in Facebook with a lot of people there I got to know uh, ducks uh, from the rave busters which is one of my little childhood heroes um, I really heard every module he was making since uh, 1993 and uh, so we got to talk and and um, well, he did a lot of uh, doing some improvements to the music in the end. So he he, he got the samples. Yeah, how to say it? They they're smaller and but but they sound the same at the end. He had a, some uh, some approach which we tested, which weren't, weren't that good, where he just got from 430 kilobytes to 120 kilobytes, but the music was wasn't that good anymore. So. Uh, we, we, we got anywhere in the middle and, and then we said, okay, this is enough. Um, and so we could use the other uh, uh, kilobytes we had there for the uh, samples, just like uh, shoot samples and explosion samples and so on. I think we're, we have like 200 kilobytes now? Uh, 260. Yeah. Probably yeah. not. But, but it's, the, the quality is still the same or even better. 
Yeah, it's 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 nearly like the original file, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. By, the, by the way, there's um, um, getting back to this multiplexing idea. This is this is something which is um, which is also discussed in the official Commodore Amiga documentation. It's it's of course possible to 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 mix um, to to mix voices in real time to get eight voices or even more. But um, this, this is a very old technique, which um, yeah, again, which is already being discussed in, in, in the in the original Amiga documentation, which the developers got from Commodore. But um, this takes away a lot of processing time. Mm -hmm. So this means okay. um, if you if you're mixing voices in real time, you you get like eight voices or six voices, whatever. But it all takes away. Um, yeah, it means you cannot put as many sprites or glitter objects or moving objects on screen or probably uh, the frame rate of a game goes down and this is this is um, this is a balance you 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 have to 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 make you you have to to decide what what is what is important for your game um, is the, the the sound quality the most important aspect of your game if you decide okay my game is all about music and nothing else and you would probably mix voices, and then you would you would you would be able to use um, or kind of use eight voices. Um, but if you decide um, you want um, you want a real fast game, which has a lot of stuff going on screen and uh, which has a, a high frame rate, which means a fluid gameplay, fluid gameplay experience, then um, you 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 can there are some things which you can't do, and one of these things is you cannot have like 20 uh, more than 16 colors and you also can't have uh, more than four voices of audio and that's just a decision you know mm -hmm. and um, in, in the case of reshoot R we, we the decision was really easy to make because mixing voices is just too time consuming too processor con consuming and it's just not it's just not possible to to have that and also a very fast gameplay experience yeah so that yeah. means, but, but, but um, really, yeah. I mean, if you you will listen to Martin's music and you will you will not miss anything because it's it's just it's just great and it's exactly like he said it's it's it sounds like he uses six voices plus the sound effects uh, so, sound like we have another ten uh, channels <laughs> so <laughs> not exact but it's 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 really it's there were not many games which which. Um, which have a comparable uh, audio quality. I would say it's a, it's 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 on a par with with. It sounds like Silkworm, for example. Silkworm is one of these Amiga games which I really really adore because they're so so fluid and so fast and and they sound great and they look great. And um, I think um, what Martin did with his, with uh, his music is is comparable to or to 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 like the ten or twenty best games we ever saw on the Amiga. And it's the only game that has AJ's girlfriend's yeah. voice in it. Ah, yeah. so you get to know the, the guy with the girlfriend who did this voice acting. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we were sitting here we like, let's use, let's use an artificial voice. And then AJ was like, oh, wait a second, I have a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a girlfriend. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we, we, we couldn't get the computer to say it right, so I was just like, here, just talk. Just say this word. Yeah. 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 So we have, like, escalation now, and we have extra. Extra and 
weapon. I don't know. Yeah. Ah, the weapon was so great. The weapon was so amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually, uh, when I got the weapon sample, I decided I need to change something in the game design because I want to use the <laughs> sample. <laughs> because it's, it's it's just it's, it sounds great. It's just a good sample. <laughs> Glad to be of help. That's the nice thing about um, developing for for a retro platform. You know, there's no there's no marketing guy telling you to include this and include that because it sells better. But you just hear a sample you like it and you just put it into the game just because you like it. And that's that's what uh, retro um, game development is all about. You just do what you what you want to do. Mm -hmm. mm. But it, of it, course, it wasn't always like that. You know. <laughs> no. I guess. No. Uh, uh, what do you mean? I mean, I mean, for example, the way Activision was actually founded was because Atari didn't want to give credits to the programmers and sound designers and graphic guys. They said, okay, so we are doing our own company, and that is how, how Activision was founded. Exactly, but you're talking about commercial game development. I'm talking about retro game development. Yeah, but the so, retro gaming of today was the commercial back in the days. Exactly true. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, you're right. I mean, um, I I always said um, that um, game developers should take should get a lot more credit for their work. You know, I actually always thought it was a mistake that um, so few game development companies and publishers um, put people. In, in, in the in the in, in the in the in the bright light, you know, um, and make stars of these people, you know, that just a couple of people, um, which 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 have a name, which at least some 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 game players recognize, like Warren Spector, for example, or David Crane in, in the former times. But these, these are just a little, very few names, and I think we. Within the games industry, it would be nice to to have a lot more stars, you know, game developers as stars, which um, which have a vision, which share their vision, which talk about their vision, and um, um, I, I I wish um, that a lot of uh, game developers would would get more credit than they actually do. That's kind of like what That's, EA used to do when when Electronic Arts would make games. They they exactly. put them out like an album where you'd open it up and it would have all the developers, a picture of them, and everything on the inside. Exactly. That's, and that's Activision how, had that too, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how they started in the eighties, and uh, then it got lost somehow. Yeah. <laughs> the the last time we we um, interviewed a developer, it was actually Ron Gilbert, and AJ made up the point. Well, you are Ron Gilbert. You can just go to any yeah. publisher and say, "Hey, I'm Ron Gilbert, fool." But <laughs> 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 well, he can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but probably he can because you know. It's nowadays um, a, good, a good idea, a good game design or good gameplay idea is not worth too much if you if you approach uh, a publisher. You know, you have to not only sell your idea but also explain how you sell your idea to <laughs> people outside. And you know, you can also you can only develop games nowadays which which make profit. And this this means um, yeah a lot of compromises because there's so many people involved nowadays. And um, it would mean that you cannot just include a sample because you love it, 
you would have to discuss it with like 20 people if you are able or allowed to include a sample if it works in China as well as Germany as well as the United States or probably it's insulting people in North Korea or something like that you know it's well you never know and that's that's um, that's I don't care I have I don't have to care about that <laughs> well of course of course there are a few exceptions for example flappy bird which made yeah. a Vietnamese coder a millionaire yeah just oh. by a simple idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at what Martin's doing. <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing here. Right, right. So, ju just to summarize it, you are doing it for fun, for the yeah. fun of it. Well, what else could be the reason? <laughs> <laughs> I no, don't know. Actually, I mean, I, actually, there's another reason. Yes, <laughs> actually, it's it's. It's not always fun, you know. Um, developing or uh, developing software, not only games, but developing software is, um, I would say, is like eighty percent of time. It's more more like frustrating, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, it's just the twenty percent of time which they are so fulfilling that um, they outweigh um, the moments or the, the, the many, many moments of frustration. But also, um, you see, um, you see all these, <laughs> yeah, now that means, that actually means I'm kind of getting old a little bit. And this means um, I have to feed my brain with uh, stuff which to, to, keep, to keep my thinking young. And um, developing software is, uh, no matter if it's for a for an old platform or for for a more recent platform, developing software is is very um, you know it trains your brain. Well, that's at least what I think it does. And um, but yeah, actually that's that's one of the reasons I do it because it's um, it's just um, it's just food for your for your for your brain. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that means if we if we want to train our brain, we should code more Amiga games and yeah, why if, yeah. and and get more get more kids that let you stay up at night so yeah. you have more time for coding <laughs> well, this is exactly what I, what I am doing right now in, in January my my next kid will come and then and, and my, my wife said I'm so happy I, I just she wondered the last four years she wondered what are you doing in the cellar here what are you doing at night we, we don't didn't you should sleep but now she says oh okay now i have the opinion to sleep for myself right. okay nice you can go there and uh, no? <laughs> more music for the next project after yeah. <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah so um so coding and developing for the Amiga is now a bit different than it was 20 years ago, because that is actually what you mentioned at the beginning of the interview. You said if you could recode some of your early C64 games, you would change some things. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially on the Commodore 64, because um, on the Commodore 64, um, in, the, in, the, in the past 20 years, um, the the, the, the people who still um, are uh, involved in the, in the whole development scene, especially the demo scene, um, they found out a lot, a really a lot of new tricks of what can be done with a Commodore 64. Yeah. And um, one, one, one very good example is like 
scrolling the, the whole screen in, in full 16 colors. Now, um, if, if anyone of, of, of your listeners is a, is, is a little bit into developing for the Commodore 64, he, he knows that um, scrolling a full screen on the Commodore 64 is kind of easy um, with uh, four colors. But it's it's really really hard to do with uh, 16 colors, and um, some people. I mean, if if you had a look at um, at recent demos from the past five, six, seven years, you will see like even big artwork, lots of small details, and lots of colors, and they are even zooming these things, you know. Whereas um, in the former times, it wasn't really even possible to scroll with 16 colors. And um, so the, 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 a whole of knowledge was, was gathered and it's, it's being shared over the internet, which was not possible in the 80s and 90s, you know, while now um, everyone um, can, can just Google information, you know, in the 80s you had to buy a book and you had to be lucky to get a book which, um, which explained the most basic things like how to... Um, how to use sprites on on the Commodore uh, 64 and uh, and how to do scrolling, and the same is true with uh, with the Amiga. Um, when I started to develop for the Amiga, um, there, there, wa there was no real documentation which which gathered all aspects of how to use the Blitter chip, how to use the copper chip properly, how to use the sprite DMA of the Amiga computer properly. Um, and how to use um, some 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 things uh, with uh, the the Paula sound chip. Um, one, one example: um, the the Amiga has built-in sprites. It has like eight sprites, which are move small, tiny, uh, movable objects. Um, he can multiplex them um, like the Commodore 64 can, but. Um, I, I did not find any documentation how this was how this actually would work um, when I started to, to develop for the Amiga computer. So I used a technique which I, which I, which I already used on a Commodore 64, which is called raster interrupt. Um, this, is a, this is working actually on the Amiga 2, but it's way too complicated. The Amiga can do it much more easily. It can do it all by yourself. It can multiplex a whole lot of sprites without the coder um, being involved. And I just didn't know because I did not have the documentation in, in, the, in, in the 90s. And I just got to, to use this technique, which is built into the Amiga, when I, when I started to develop Reshoot because it, it, over the internet, um, this, all these, this information is being shared and there's almost no secret in the Amiga left. Whereas on the Commodore 64, I have the impression they always find new things. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know how this will end. I, I recently even saw um, filled vectors running in 50 frames on the Commodore 64, which I could not imagine that this is really running on a, on a Commodore 64. But the YouTube video guys, they say, hey, this is real. <laughs> so I have to believe it. Yeah. Um, it's... So yeah, as I said, a whole lot of technical documentation is available right now for use for to everyone, and this means um, I can uh, do things which I just did not know, and also I I also um, learned a lot of things about organizing um, myself, 
my time um, organizing files, organizing graphics, organizing team structures. This is, you know, it's not always, it's not only about, um, you know, developing an engine and having like 10 or, or 15 blitter objects on screen moving uh, smoothly, but developing a game also means um, you have to work with a team. You have to build up a team. You have to organize a team. You have to keep your team kind of motivated. You have to keep all the people involved and you know you have to talk to them occasionally and um, yeah just give them the feeling that they are involved and you you really respect the work they do especially on a retro game because that usually Martin knows this um, usually means you don't get paid for your work simply because you don't get money I mean I don't get money and Martin does not get money. We all do it for fun of it, really, basically. And um, now that means if you don't get money, you have to get some other means of compensation. And that means motivation, nice words, probably a free beer at the Gamescom show. <laughs> <laughs> Working with a VIP game developer. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I have to say it's not it's, it's not just just getting the feeling you are involved. To be honest, we had some phone calls, you remember, and 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 um, at the end, we had as a team we had the uh, what's the word for Möglichkeit? We had uh, possibilities. We we just had the possibility to talk. Um, to Richard and, and say, hey, what do we say about this? And we had some ideas and we talked about it and we got instant and response and, 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 and could develop some ideas. Or he just said, hey, I had this idea. What about this and that? And, and we could talk together. And this is so much fun because, you know, at the end, there's something like this. Yeah, you can this take your hands, you can play it. And then, yeah. well, and, 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 and it's it's so cool to be in the project in, in, in an Amiga game project at the at the end. It's just like a dream. When I was a child, it was a dream of me. And now uh, we're sitting here and talking. While so you, you always you always wanted to work with Richard Löwenstein. Well, I don't know if it, if it was Richard. And and to be honest, I just I played the Persian Gulf in Final, but just on the Amiga. So I don't know if uh, it's it it wasn't your version. Wasn't it? No, no, no. This was from no, from, uh, from guys called Parsec Software. Ah, okay. Yeah. He did the conversion on the C64. Yeah. 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 But Martin, appreciate. It. I mean, um, you know, if 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 I had a little bit more time, which I do not have because of family and job and always, but I I would Skype some more often, you know, and exchange more ideas and work a little bit more on details. But that's you know that's. Again, that's a balance because working on the retro games means uh, retro game means you have to you have a private life, you have a job to do because you want to earn money, real money, and, um, and that means you only have a few hours to spend every week. And uh, Martin, he's he's. You mean if I if I if I stay up uh, at night, which I do quite often, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I write messages to Martin, I, I at first I never expected to get an answer. <laughs> before two or three days after I, I, I sent my message. 
But Martin also replied, uh, almost replied instantly very often. So <laughs> he's, but you know, he's, what, he's as crazy as me. <laughs> well, not that crazy as you, because often I talk to Jörg via Skype when we are... <laughs> Yeah, because we are on projects too. <laughs> to, to, to be honest, we we're skyping almost every two days, and and then then I just say, oh, it's it's Richard. Oh, finally, then I can respond here and, and do some things there. Okay. <laughs> and, yes. and so when we, yeah. when we when when I did the samples, uh, the sound effects for 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 the escalation part and the weapon part, we were just uh, uh, skyping together with with AJ and and Jörg. What's all people here? In one in one phrase, it's yeah, perfect. That is, that is often we were doing the lot the let's play of Thimbleweed Park, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While you're talking about escalation, um, I finished this part right now, so it means we have we are, yeah, it's really great. It's, it's just great. You know, it's it's you have your music playing and then fading out, okay. and then you have a little bit of a pause, just a little bit of a dramatic pause, and then you have like the first two or three beats of the boss track, of the boss music track, and then you have escalation. <laughs> okay. escalation. You know the boss, boss, the boss uh, enters the screen, and that's that's really nice. Uh, it actually works quite well. And um, as soon as the boss is history, um, the music fades out again, and uh, the the main track fades in again uh, at 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 the at the same. Um, at the same, uh, uh, how, how do you say, place, um, you know, at the same minute and second where uh, where it was uh, fa fading out. Ah, so, cool. Yeah, because I did not want anything to lose because you, the, the music is so great and I wanted to have people, yeah, really, I, I really wanted to have people <laughs> to listen to the whole track and not just the first minute <laughs> every time um, it okay. fades back in. So. And it actually, it's it's quite nice. Um, I, I will do a video pretty soon, and um, I, I I hope I can include this uh, this um, situation. Escalation part, all because yeah. of scene world. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So I, I totally, I totally can understand how you feel about working with the team because I have the same feeling often when we finally produce a new issue or a new video. I'm like, wow, we did it again. So yeah. I totally understand. Yes. <clears throat> right. So when will it be released? <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, I've got a, I've got a time schedule, and um, this this looks like this. Uh, the, the the plan is to to show the game um, at the Gamescom show. I will be I will be attending the show um, as a guest um, at the booth of the Return Magazine, and um, the game. Will I will be, be there too. So see you there. Um, the game will be playable. If all goes uh, uh, the way um, I've, I'm planning right now, and um, we will have a kind of a high score contest, because there will be um, yeah there will be a global high score table included in, in the game, which means um, you can enter the, the, the score you achieve uh, into a, a web based um, yeah uh, yeah high score table, and um, after that. Um, I want to release the game at the Amiga 32 uh, well uh, a gathering, which is happening end of October 
in in Neuss uh, in, in Germany. But I will be there too. Okay. <laughs> so, so I will follow your steps. <laughs> but I'm you stalking you. I'll be right behind you every minute. That's just that's that's just a plan. Um, right now, I have to be honest. I'm not sure if this will work out, because maybe for uh, Santa. Sorry. Maybe for Santa. You know, Christmas, oh, Christmas Santa Claus. Ah, okay. Um. Uh, I don't think we're talking about one or two months later, but more like four or five months later, because there's, well, I'm not, I'm not yet sure if I want to really put a whole lot of finishing touches and um, two or three additional levels, um, which would mean that the game is not going to be released this year. I'm not too sure about that. You know, it's... Um, so the plan is end of October, but it could be later, as always well, with a computer well, game. Well, some games like Duke Nukem took over 15 years to come out, so... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not going to happen, because I'm not, I'm not someone um, who's, who's, uh, who's easy to motivate for longer than one year. So um, if, I, if I'm working on a game for much longer than one year, then probably my motivation will fade away and I cannot allow this to happen. So it's, it's, it's going to be released within um, the time frame October to February uh, 2018. Well, yeah. that's a fair deal. Yeah. yeah. Get, get, get a more... Uh... We, we we have a more concrete release date on this than we do on most uh, most commercial games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, normally it's summer 2017, summer yeah. 2018. Uh -huh. so. yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a little bit difficult to decide on that because um, that again there are so many so many um, issues you have to to keep in mind. Like for example. Um, you have to. I, I again. I want to release the game in a in a CD box like this one, but this means um, that I mean this this is this costs money. You know, um, producing something like that is is not for free. It just costs money, and um, I have a, a campaign running on Patreon right right now, where I um, where I try to collect some money to uh, where I try to raise some money. Which enables me to, um, yeah, to produce this these things, you know. Unfortunately, <laughs> just doesn't work. Um, there's almost no one um, participating. I don't know exactly the reasons um, because I I've already talked about the game at different uh, gatherings and I've, um, yeah, um, I think I already did a lot of things. Well, not too many things, but uh, some things. But all of these things, they just they didn't really bring in one single um, uh, a contributor or Patreon to 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 spend money. So um, and this this means um, that I have to find other ways to to finance this. this um, to, to, yeah, and I I have to be honest, I have not really a good idea so far how to how to to pay for this in order to be able to release it. So. Um, it will happen anyway, but um, it will probably happen later, so that I can gather a little bit more money. Because right now I have like I'm not too sure about ten or twelve uh, uh, Patreons, which is 
well, it's it's very nice to have these people, but it's 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 I, I would have expected to have like fifty or hundred or something like that. I feel like and the is, the problem with with Patreon, um, or yeah. or maybe like the what causes people to hesitate is the fact that with Patreon, isn't it? It's like a monthly donation that you make. Exactly. Yes. Right, and I feel like some people would be would kind of squirm at the idea of making the, the, the regular donation, whereas something like a like a Kickstarter or something like that where they can put in their donation and be done with it and not have to worry about a recurring thing would probably yeah. draw more people into it, especially since you can show them, hey, this is actually being developed. And yeah, a lot of stuff on, on Kickstarter, it's like we'd like to make a game, but we really have no – we've got nothing set up for it. We have no idea what we're doing. Whereas you've got something concrete down, you've already got the game, you know, however much percent done. So it would be a lot more. There'd be a lot more behind getting people to contribute to that. I think. Well, if you worry about not getting all the money, you can go on flexible funding on yeah. Indiegogo. That's right, also that a possibility. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what AJ mentioned is we we are talking to a lot of game developers and stuff or composers who, who do their, you know, orchestral remix album, and they all use Indiegogo or Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. like, that's yeah, actually that's true. Yeah. You're, pro you're probably right. Probably it was a wrong decision to, to, um, to, put, to spend my, my, my time and, um, and energy on Patreon. Probably I've, I should have used another channel to, to try to gather some money. Um, I, I still can't change that. I mean, I could still go for Indiegogo because right now I've already learned that Patreon so far doesn't work. Right. Um, I mean, you could do both. You could do, you know, you could yeah. do Patreon like and, I said, and Indiegogo. Uh, yes, adding, yeah. adding to it. I mean, that is what a lot of people actually doing. Mm -hmm. They are using like Kickstarter or Indiegogo and yeah. Mega Thunder, which is like another platform. Or after the Indiegogo or Kickstarter is over, they say, "Okay, make additional pledges by PayPal." You know, mm -hmm. so there are just, there are just possibilities. Notes. I just took notes. I will um, keep <laughs> yeah. care about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it also, we will make sure that this is getting spread on Amiga News and all the other platforms yeah, and we'll, we'll that we to, are. We'll link to Patreon yes. and and to everything else. I mean, if there's an Indiegogo by the time we release this, we'll link to that too. <laughs> sure. I mean. I mean, this wouldn't be the first project that we helped raising money, you know. Oh, that would be nice. Right. Okay. So, so I think we got it covered from yeah. my side. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, really, it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks it for was fun. Um, oh, by the way, um, is there any way we could mention Kevin Saunders, who did the, the graphics on the game? Absolutely. Sure. Of course, yeah. we should. We should. This is yeah. Of course, his work is fantastic. And because you know, Kevin is just—he's such such an amazing guy. Um, he, he again, as, as me, he learned a lot um, from from the first reshoot game. And the the, the the reason why I love to to work with uh, Kevin Saunders is that um, he knows what an Amiga can do, and he also knows what an Amiga can't do. And this is so important. Um, because um, when I when I started developing Reshoot R, I I thought about okay, what 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 I want, what do I want to achieve uh, with this game, and I wanted to achieve um, a more visual experience. So my first thought was, why not approach some some high school students um, who uh, learn to to 
to work with uh, modern graphing tools right now. So I talked to two or three guys and um, I quickly learned that, well, these people just don't know how to work with 16 colors because right now you're not counting colors, you know, you're just using them. You're using like 16.7 million colors and you don't count them. You just fill the screen, you just compose and you just uh, put some details and that's that's basically what you do but um, i need someone who can draw nice graphics and also knows um, that a sprite on the amiga 1200 it can't be wider than 64 pixels it's just not possible you know so if someone sends me um is uh, I, I got I got an email from someone who criticized the spaceship from from the first reshoot game. He said it's not looking like a spaceship. And then I told I said him, okay, so um, so send me a spaceship you would like to have in in a, in a possible successor. So what he did was he sent me a, a rendered picture. Yeah. And I replied, okay, so now this is a rendered picture of a spaceship. So how am I supposed to put this into my game. It's a full screen spaceship. It looks kind of nice. Yeah, right. But it's not animated. It's way too big. It can't be used in a game. It can't be put into a small Amiga sprite. It's just impossible. And it probably uses like 16 million colors. And the Amiga can just display a single sprite has three colors. <laughs> and, uh, and, and if you use two sprites and combine them, um, you have 16 colors, but that's what you—that's the maximum amount of colors you can have on an Amiga sprite, or 15 colors plus transparent to be exact, to be precise. Um, and a lot of people just don't respect these these borders, you know, these technical limitations. Whereas Kevin um, just um, knows them, and what he does not know, he listens to me, you know. And when I tell him, okay. Um, we, we built up the whole landscape from tiles and these tiles, these small little blocks of graphics, they are 32 by 32 pixels. Um, it does not send me tiles which are, which are 34 by uh, 40 because he, he prefers to have that these dimensions. He just sends me what I need because that's what I can use. You know, because of technical limitations, the Amiga just uses 32 by 32 pixels. I mean, you could use some other dimensions, but everything else would slow the game down, down, down. Mm -hmm. Whereas 32 by 32 pixels is really a fast way of drawing graphics, and um, at least in my engine. And Kevin just knows that, and he still um, delivers graphics, which um, to me um, really look great, just just great. And um, we will, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy to, to show the people in a, in a forthcoming video or at Gamescom show um, what what Kevin Saunders already has achieved. Cool. And he is one of such students, or he did Amiga graphics before? Well, he's just how should I say? No, he's not a student. He's he's also like me. He's he's a family guy. He has okay. kids. Um, he's he's living in Australia. He has a job, and he has to take a lot of things. Um, he has to, to to take care of a lot of things. Uh, in in a, in a life of a of a of an adult, uh, but um, he's he's also he's also drawing pictures, you know, 
um, mm -hmm. with uh, conventional methods of drawing and painting. And um, but he also um, loves pixeling stuff. Ah, so, okay, so, yeah, yeah. So he has the pixeling experience. That was yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, that was my question. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah he's, he he learned to 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 work with pixels while working on some other games which were unfortunately uh -huh. never never released or never published and um now reshoot was the first game which he ever worked on which was actually published you know now that's you know a lot of people in the amiga scene they tend to to um to have big plans having a great game doing a big arcade conversion of a of, of a game and they over or they underestimate the amount of work which which is necessary to to put all these puzzle pieces which are ne necessary to, to have a game it's not just a, some bits of graphics some bits of sound and then you have a game no you have also have to have collision detection you have a lot of bugs to take care of you have a lot of things um, like uh, Play, player management, object management. You have to take, you have to write code for taking care of all objects in your game um, when they mm -hmm. they appear and when they disappear and stuff like that. That that all takes away a lot of time, and um, that's um, a lot of people underestimate the amount of work which is uh, needed to 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 get a game together. And so um, Kevin Saunders' first published work is actually reshoot, but he he already did some some other works. He's currently, by the way, he's also working on a on a conversion um, of the uh, arcade game Rygar, um, which um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen again. This is one project which, to me, looks like one of these projects which will probably take too much time, um, so they probably won't get released. But Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, and this this Raya conversion for the Amiga is really going to happen because what what I have seen so far looks good, but it's just a tiny bit. You know, it's just a, a portion of the first level, whereas the, the arcade game has like 30, 30 levels or something like that. So there's a lot, a lot of work to do. Yeah. Hmm. Well, good things come to those who wait. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, no. Again, it's the, the problem is always um, how to keep the motivation high, and um, it's it's just um, it's it's really difficult to 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 motivate not only yourself but also the people involved. Like, I mean, if if Martin, for example, if my if I if I worked for the game on, on Reshoot R for not not one year but probably two or four or six years, you know I mean, and I every two months I will tell you, Martin. Okay, your music is going to be used. Your music is going to be used. Yeah, but it's never happening. Yeah, yeah sure. It, it just would be frustrating for you. Yeah, and everyone else involved in the project. So well, um, you have to keep a time frame. You know, that's well. I just have an example here. For example, the newest Oliver Twin games from 1992 just got released. Yeah. Dreamworld Pogi. So it only took it only took some years. Yeah. But it's finally getting released after over 25 years. Which platform is that? NES. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Dream. And you know, um, Oliver Twins did the Dizzy games. Uh -huh. They were very famous. And okay. they had a lot of games in, in the 82, and uh, uh, sorry, in the 92 area that uh -huh. were finished but never commercially released. 
and now Chris Wilkins is actually working with them to release any unfinished game they had in the shelves. So, there's an Oliver Twins production. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, nice. It's, it's okay. even signed. I don't know. Um, oh, you, yeah, you can see it. It's it's a golden. It's even yeah, signed yeah. by them. So yeah. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes it takes 25 years for games to yeah. get out. We yeah. won't wait this long yeah. <laughs> for research. We well, won't. people get old nowadays, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking that much of time, Richard, so we could co cover all your past and present and future. Oh, there will be so much more to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so we, well, we, we, we probably will meet again when the game is uh, uh, um, yeah. uh, released. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will, I will be happy to talk about uh, a bit more, probably more, more technical things or how, how, how it was how it worked on the Gamescom show, you know, yeah. showing a game on the Gamescom show is is, is is actually quite interesting. I could tell you. We can do that. Yeah, yeah. we can do a follow up. No problem. Okay. What? Yeah. Yeah. If you would like to talk to us again in the future. <laughs> okay. So, guys, again, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank and for, you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Me to, 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 and I really look forward to, to listen to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only podcast where three German people and one American talk yeah. into English. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, see you guys. Bye. Yeah. See you. Bye. Bye. And that was Richard Leuvenstein and Martin Amon talking about their new game, Reshoot R. Again, if you want to learn more about the game, uh, check out their Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Lowenstein. And that's L-O-E-W-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Links to all this will be in the description. And when you go there, be sure to click on the button to become a patron and help this solid game to, get, to actually get made. Uh, us, you know where to find us. But be sure to also check out our new news portal at c64.tv. Until next time, this is the Scene World Podcast. Bye. <laughs>